welcome back to the second episode of the NPC Talk Show. That is the Non-Perfect Christian Talk Show. And, of course, you got your host, Sludge, here. Now, I will be joined later on through the show by my beautiful wife, Sarah, who's another one of the co-hosts. And then we've got a special guest for this episode. His name's Reese Averett. Reese Averett's coming on to give his testimony. And uh, just want to give you a little quick rundown because we like to keep it open and real with you guys. This is the second recording of doing this show. We attempted last night to record this. And in the two years that I've been recording podcasts, actually in the... <clears throat> 15 plus years that I've been recording period. Uh, uh, I've never had an issue like we ran into last night. We had some technical difficulties that just, we knew hundred percent was the devil attacking the show. Cause it's never happened before what was going on and it was constant throughout. And so having to unfortunately re-record the show or fortunately, cause we know this is still going to get out. So, um, uh, Hope you guys are definitely going to enjoy this, especially Reese's uh, testimony. It's very powerful, and we can't wait to get to that. So like every show, we're going to run down some news for you, give you a song, then we'll go through an entertainment section for you to give you a, an, a, a rundown of, of popular new movies out and whether or not they're going to be any good um, for you and your family to watch from a Christian standpoint. And then we'll throw another song at you to give you a break from that and then bring on Reese for his testimony. Um, do want to let you know, we do have one quick announcement this is after much prayer and discussion, we have decided to move the show to two times a month because once is not enough. And so not only will you get this episode today, two weeks from now, you'll get another episode. Two weeks from then, you'll get another episode. So you're going to get more of the NPC talk show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that, but let's go ahead and get this started, man. There's a lot of news going on. Um, not in just the world, but definitely the U.S. as it's going on where we live. And I know probably the biggest thing that you're seeing on the news right now is the impeachment trial. And we're not going to talk about that because that's what everybody's seeing. And we're going to let that thing kind of finish out um, before we discuss that on the news section. But there's a lot of things going on that people are probably missing because the biggest thing on right now is, of course, the impeachment trial. So got a couple of things I want to talk to you guys about. Two things you guys have probably not heard of, or three haven't heard about that's in the news. The one you definitely have because it was all over every social media, number one trending topic for a little bit. So we'll dig into that. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is New is not New York Times, I'm sorry. The Times magazine itself just released an article um, <clears throat> that discusses fortifying the 2020 elections. Okay. Now this article is pretty lengthy. Um, this is an article from, you know, from the left and it discusses how people from, or some left wing activists and CEOs, Titan CEOs, okay, had done things to, um, fortify the 2020 elections, but they definitely word it as, as they did it to protect the elections. Okay. Now, again, this is, a, a Times Magazine article, okay, and that you can go check out on Times. The, the article itself is called The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. And uh, here we go. Let's jump into it, okay? So there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes that we know. And I'm going to read some inserts from the actual article. It is a lengthy article. It is worth checking out. I, I advise you to read everything that we talk about news-wise. Go and check it out for yourself. Um, but I'm going to read some excerpts from that said article. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast 
campaign to protect the election, sorry, vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair and credible and uncorrupted. Okay, key point there, all right? So when you do something, and I just want to put this out here, um, that you're not supposed to do, you either A, lie about it, or B, this is Sledge's opinion here that I'm giving you, or B, paint the picture to look like what you were doing was for a good reason and had a good cause, okay? We know the number one concern of the 2020 elections that Trump pushed and a lot of conservatives and Republicans were worried about was whether or not there was, you know, it was rigged or stolen uh, because of voter fraud. Now, the biggest argument is, is you have a lot of people, and I'm not so much going to say liberals, because um, some do, some don't. It's kind of a divided party there. But definitely everyone on the left says there was no fraud whatsoever. That's not true. Um, there are cases of fraud. There is evidence of fraud. Is it mass voter fraud like we were led to believe? Probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Why? Because, and a lot of people are like, well, this was thrown out in the courts. Yes, the courts dismissed most of these cases that Rudy Giuliani and, and uh, the Republicans were bringing across the country in different states, dismissing them without viewing any of the actual evidence that they were bringing. Okay, that's key. That's a big thing the news is not wanting, let, wanting to let you know as far as the mainstream media, um, that they just weren't even looking at the evidence. But there are court cases that are now being opened, that are being done. Um, that are accepting the evidence. There has been some court cases that have overturned some things, but you're not going to see them in the mainstream media. So there's evidence of voter fraud. Okay, so there was a con it was a true concern. All right, that left wing activists and and the, the, that party were rigging the election or trying to steal it. Okay, so huge concern. We know what it's caused. It's caused a lot of problems in, for this country. And again, right here in this article in Time Magazine. It states this campaign was to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort. Okay, if you're trying to protect the election, first off, why are you doing it in the shadows? That shouldn't be an issue there. An extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote. Okay, we're not here to steal it, not here to win it, but to ensure it would be free and fair and credible and uncorrupted. Okay, so if you're not going to lie about doing something wrong, you're going to paint the picture that you were doing it for a good reason. Okay. Here you go. This is for fortifying the elections, not stealing them. We did this for your all's benefit. Continue on. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and help seek, secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. Okay. So these guys got millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in public and private funding for this um, shadow effort that they've built. And what they did was they recruited, these are the guys that recruited armies of poll workers got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time, and they successfully pressured social media companies. Okay, this, now this is a shadow effort that they are openly admitting in times, <clears throat> again, saying they were fortifying the elections, um, where they stated, okay, was securing hundreds of millions of dollars in public and private funding for this shadow effort to change voting systems and laws, recruited armies of poll workers, got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time and successfully pressured social media companies. All right. Even after election day, they monitored every point that they could to ensure that Trump could not overturn the results. If you're protecting the elections, why are you doing it in secret? And the things that were listed, okay, let's go back through this again, that they talk about openly admitting 
Well, again, I want you to just see. They got states to change voting systems and laws. Most of the problems and lawsuits that are coming out is dealing with that right there, okay? Is problems with the voting systems and last minute and late changes to election laws that were done illegally, okay? And that's, they're stating right there. They got states, this, this shadow effort got states to change voting systems and laws. They secured millions in public funding and private funding, okay? They recruited armies of poll workers. How many videos have you seen where poll workers are recounting ballots multiple times? You should be putting 50 in, but for some reason, the marker on this machine has 400, and that was stated by an actual Dominion worker who addressed the issue, okay? These are the people that were pulling buckets or cases of uh, votes out from underneath tables that they weren't there before when there was no more poll watchers, okay? These are the poll workers that they've hired. They got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. We discussed, and Trump brought it up, and many people brought it up on both sides of the aisle, on how hard it's going to be to be doing voting by mail at this massive of a level. They're opening the middle in here, pressuring social media companies, okay? Everything you post, if it's a right-sided statement on whether or not they're, you can't even say voter fraud anymore, okay? Without, YouTube will take you down immediately, okay? That's part of their stringent uh, programming now is if you can't even mention voter fraud, they're going to take you down. Okay, they admit right here, pressuring social media companies about this. Okay, the entire thing started sometime in the fall of 2019 by a guy named Mike Podhorser. Podhoser, Podhoser, Pod, I got this wrong last night too. I called him Podhoser, so I'm just going to call him Mike. (laughs) Mike became convinced the election was headed for disaster and determined to protect it. Let's give you a little bit of background on Mike here, okay, who led this effort for nearly 25 years. Okay, quarter century. Mike was the senior advi- is the senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO. That's the nation's largest union federation. Okay, he has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its this union's favored candidates win elections. So this is what this dude does. Okay, the, these union this union they want this person to win. He's the guy who marshaled the latest tactics and data and helped its favored candidates win the election. Okay. Not necessarily a bad thing, but this is what this guy does. Among Democratic leaders or insiders, he's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in recent decades. It's right there. It's black and white. Go read it for yourself, okay? Be aware. I mean, they're telling you their narrative and what they want, and I'm just telling you, go go read between the lines uh, of this article. It was mind-blowing. The fact that they're stating there, hey, we're fortifying the election for your benefit, for your protection, to keep you safe and to keep the election safe because it has to be fair and it has to be right. But when you read what they've done, it is the exact things that was brought up from the right as being how they rigged the elections, okay? So definitely check that out. You need to read that. That is a huge article. i blown away the fact that it was even released. I mean, the best way to hide something is right out in the open. That is an old saying that's extremely true. So let's move on to the next bit of news. Of course, we all know and have been we've heard about it for a while that they're wanting to raise minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now, for those who don't understand, that's not going to be an immediate thing if they get this passed, okay? That's going to take time like it always has. You're going to go from 2021 to roughly 2031, where every year or so, they're going to slightly raise the minimum wage, you know, from $7.25 to $8.50, from $8.50 to $9.60, from $9, you know, in increments to get to the $15 an hour 
minimum wage. Okay. So it's not going to be just an overnight magic trick. Boom. And you're $15 an hour. The CBO, um, the budget office for the government. Okay. They finally released, just released their analysis of how the $15 an hour minimum wage increase would affect the economy. And it's not good. I will state the positive that they state is that they suggest that it is possible for the poverty level to be decreased by 0.9%. That's not a lot. Okay. I mean, that's, if we want to decrease poverty, 0.9% is a low goal to shoot for. Okay. We want to get rid of poverty. We just need to do it, period. But uh, raising minimum wage is not how to do so. So this is, a, a, you know, they released the article. It's 17, or the analysis, it's 17 pages. Again, please go pull it yourself, read it so that you are well informed of what is going on and what they have stated about this. But I've picked out a few pieces here just to kind of uh, from that analysis to let you know. The cumulative budget deficit, okay, the deficit for the country because of this over the years from 2021 to 2031 from that period would increase by $54 billion, all right? I can go into a tangent on another thing. I mean, they're wanting to do another um, COVID um, relief fund for over a trillion dollars. Let's tack on $54 billion with this. We're tacking on a lot of debt or trying to tack on a lot of debt very, 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 very quickly. And that's the last thing our country needs to do before we go bankrupt. Okay. I'm not saying, hey, they're trying to <clears throat> bankrupt the country so that we can get bought out by whoever. Um, but this is not the direction we need to be going in. So cumulative budget deficit over 2021, 2021 to 2031 would increase by $54 billion. Not a good thing. Higher prices for goods and services stemming from the higher wages of workers, obviously, um, would severely increase, such as those providing uh, long-term health care, uh, which would also contribute to increases in federal spending, changes in this, and then the distribution of income would increase spending over uh, for some programs, such as increased spending for unemployment compensation, reduced spending for others, such as nutrition programs, that's your SNAP card, that's GBT, uh, and boost federal revenues on the net, okay? So this change in higher prices and goods, the the the, the domino effect here of raising this is you're going to see, okay, gas prices right now. Well, gas prices uh, in December here in East Tennessee, where I'm at, was about $1.80 to $1.90 a gallon. Now we're around $2.20 a gallon. So it's already going up. Uh, And that's not even being affected by this wage increase. But if this happens, you're going to see gas prices raise. You're going to see your gallon of milk go from, you know, we're averaging almost $3 a gallon here. It's going to go to three to $6 a gallon. Eggs are $1.80 at Walmart for a carton. You're going to see that go to $4. Okay. You're going to see the increase in these goods and for services. Okay. You're going to see an increase in your cable bill. You're going to see an increase in your electric bill. You're going to see an increase, you know, in car washes because in order to sustain and pay a higher wage, the cost of these goods and services has to increase to be able to sustain that. So you're not going to see a massive change difference, okay? Well, what's going to happen is when, when, this, when this starts, then it's going to increase and decrease spending in areas that don't need it to happen, okay? Again, increase spending in unemployment compensation, okay? That's going to go up, reducing spending for other things such as nutrition programs. People who have to have, you know, people who need a SNAP card, who need EBT, they're not going to get as much as they were able to prior to this because spending is going to have to decrease. This is not me just pointing my opinion and saying this is what I think is going to happen. This is what the budget office's analysis has said is going to happen. Okay. Again, go get 17 pages and read it. 
Um, from 2021 to 2031, the cumulative pay of affected people would increase on that by $333 billion. That's an increased labor cost for firms considerably larger than the net effect on the budget deficit during that period. Okay, so our net our budget deficit is going to go up by $54 billion, but the labor cost itself on net would increase $333 billion. That's the estimated price tag that employers are going to have to start paying to pay this minimum wage increase. And for small businesses, that's not going to happen. Okay. I work part-time. Um, I, you know, I work for a, a, a health company um, and I make really good money there. But I also work part-time with my father at a local pizza chain, helping him out um, where, where, where I make minimum, a little over minimum wage because I'm a shift, shift lead there. I, you know, I close two nights a week, whatever. But so I make a little over minimum wage there. That company, okay, who has 40, they, they do pretty good, but they've got 42 stores, something like that. They start out at minimum wage, okay, and their increments are not very high because they financially cannot afford to pay super high wages until you get into management. And in, in management, the managers make an average around the $15 an hour range, and then you can go up to supervisor, and that's really pretty much kind of where you max out with them. So they're a smaller business. They're, they're good size, but they're smaller business. To take their beginning workers, okay, and a lot of the people that come work here or that work for minimum wage because they have no experience, unfortunately, just to be honest, may not be the brightest crowns in the box or have the best work ethics or can be dependent on. Well, let's just be 100% honest here, okay? I worked been working there for a year and we've lost multiple people. Um, and, you know, we've had people we've hired um, that that's all we can get hired to, to come work and they call in two and three times a week. There's constant issues with them at the store. Um, these are the type of people, not everybody, okay? Don't get me wrong, not everybody, but this is a demographic of people you get when you hire a minimum wage. Okay, you cannot expect hiring a minimum wage to be getting the best of the best. So now you're paying fifteen dollars an hour, and they're paying for people like this that, of course, need jobs. Everybody needs a job. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to say no one needs a job, but they're increasing the wage for these people, and they don't have the money to do it unless they hike up the price of the product. So, in order to pay these people at fifteen dollars an hour right now when they're paying these people what they're paying them, you know, minimum wage starting out. Then, of course, you get raises every 90 days. You know, they do what they can financially to be able to increase the wages for their employees. They definitely do. But, of course, they can only do so much because they're a small business. So right now, you can go into the store, any of the stores, and get a large one-topping pizza for $8.99. Okay? That's a fact. I work there. If you increase this up to $15 an hour where you're doubling their pay, these people's pay rate for minimum wage, you're going to expect that $8.99 to go away. Come in any day of the week, $15 an hour for minimum wage. You can get a large one-time pizza for $15.99, $16.99. Why? Because it has to be increased to be able to offset paying these employees. And so one of two things is going to happen here. You're going to, for these small businesses, they're either going to go under, have to close their doors because they're already struggling with COVID and then, you know, they're not able to be open in a lot of states. And so they're already dying from it. But to raise the minimum wage, they're going to go under or they're not going to hire as many people. Okay. And that makes sense. You look at McDonald's, you look at Subway, you look at, you know, uh, or Walmart, they're going to automate this stuff. Most McDonald's now, a lot of McDonald's are putting in kiosks. So instead of having to get your order taken at the front counter by an actual employee, a human being, 
you're entering it in a machine and then it goes back and then some person makes it. Well, how long before, instead of that person making it, they've got a machine flipping the hamburgers. Okay. And then just a person putting it together. Well, instead of needing five people back there to make the food, now they only need three because they have to save costs on this. People are not thinking about this. All right. This is what's going to happen. Walmart, it's already happening. It had a friend of mine um, from Dakota, from or from South Dakota. Um, was, I think that's where she's from. Anyways, um, she's over there and she put a post on Facebook of going into Walmart. And now her local Walmart has moved down to only four lanes, four checkout aisles with an actual person. And they've put in more self-checkout. Then you're going to see more of that. Why? Because why would Walmart pay $15 an hour and lose revenue when they could just throw in self-checkout and make you do it yourself? Okay. They don't have to hire as many people. You're going to see that happen. The CBO's analysis states, and this is the ultimate factor here, is employee employment would be reduced at a minimum, at a minimum. Their low number here is 1.4 million people. 1.4 million people would not have a job because of this increase. Now, that states, you know, poverty should raise, level should, you know, would, would go down 0.9%. But 1.4 million people at a low would be would not hired. That's equal to 0.9%, by the way. Okay, so they're going to raise or, or, you know, or remove 0.9% of poverty, but you're going to lose 0.9% of workers. How does that add up? That's the low number. At a high, they are expecting 2.7 million people. Okay, I understand we need a minimum wage increase. I get it. People need to be able to live, uh, especially with the cost of living across the United States and in the world. Um, and then to be able to, one, uh, money management is huge. There's, there's something that I've learned over the last couple of years, especially thanks to my life, um, money management goes a long, long, long ways, okay? Learning correct money management, it will help you even when you're making minimum wage at $7.25 an hour, okay? And there's opportunities for you to be able to do stuff. But I'm not saying that you don't deserve to make more, okay? So a, a minimum wage increase of going from $7.25 to $9, that's a massive difference, okay? That's going to make things a lot easier for people who work on minimum wage because they don't have a college degree or because they didn't go to a trade school or because they didn't work their way up and spend time years with a company to further invest themselves, you know, whatever it may be. Or people who just can't get a job more than minimum wage. So going to $9, that's more doable than 15 You know, doubling minimum wage is going to be drastic. So um, go check it out. Again, the CBO, um, that's, the, that's the budget office for the government. They release the analysis, 70 pages. They break down how this will affect every aspect of the economy, not just jobs. We're talking healthcare. We're talking health or services and goods. Healthcare will go drastic. One of the other things that it does mention is there will be less spending available for Medicare and Medicaid. Okay. So y'all barking about this insurance, you know, should, everyone should have fair insurance. Raising in minimum wage is going to help just destroy that option because it's not going to happen because it will increase the cost of Medicare and Medicaid. There will not be as much money to go into those programs from the government because of the raise of the budget deficit. Um, and that's going to hurt and impact that industry as well. And those people who need insurance. So go check it out. Read it for yourself. Next piece of news. Again, everyone saw this all over social media, all over social media uh, the last couple of days. Gina Carano, um, a former MMA fighter. She starred in the first Deadpool movie. Um, she is most famously known right now as being probably the most popular person on Star Wars' Mandalorian show other than Mando himself. She played Cara Dune, a character called Cara Dune. Okay, she was fired by Disney. Okay, she was fired from the show, which is interesting because back in November, they were looking at doing, she's so popular that they were going to be doing a spinoff series on Cara Dune herself, on her character. Um, so she got, you know, she's been, 
I hate using the word controversial on her social media posts because she posts very conservative posts. Okay. She's a conservative and she posts things about, you know, her, her ideologies and beliefs in that area um, and has been attacked for it. But the, the, the final straw, the creme de la creme for Disney to fire her after much, much social media pressuring. Okay. You can't tell me that Disney fired her for this post and I'll prove to you why Disney didn't fire her because of some employee law um, for this post, but because of the social pressure from cancel culture on the left is why she did this uh, or why Disney did this. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay. So Gina puts a post up uh, on her Twitter page. Of course, she has since removed it, but in the post, I'm going to quote exactly what it says. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because the hist- because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazis, that's key here in her thing, to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. She's not wrong. And, and if and I'm not a Jew, but I know history. And if you need further proof, go check out Ben Shapiro, who is a Jew. He admits to himself being probably the most Jewish person in America. He's culturally a Jew. He's religiously a Jew. Um, as he states it, he wears the hat and everything. Okay. And he hates Holocaust examples. He, he was, well, he stated himself multiple times the last couple of days during all of this, that he does not like it when people try to compare the Holocaust to something. Um, and, and rightfully so, you know, I mean, that's millions of Jews were killed. Okay. But what she's not pointing, she's not comparing, she's compare, using this to compare politics of today in America to what happened leading up to the Holocaust. She did not compare the political arena in America to the actual Holocaust. She clearly states people don't today don't realize to get to that point in her quote to where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews. The government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. Okay. And that's what happened in World War II. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. It wasn't like the Gestapo just said, oh, okay, today let's ground them all up. They didn't do that, okay? It had to get to a point to where they could easily round them up, and that was done by Hitler and his regime by blaming the problems in Germany, blaming the problems in the world on Jewish people, okay? So one person blamed another person for these problems and for being the problem, and then the government made it easier and neighbors started hating these people, so it was much easier to round them up and then put them in concentration camps. Okay, that's what happened. It wasn't an overnight thing with the Gestapo. They convinced people that all the problems they were facing, all the bad things, all the issues, was because of the Jewish people. What's going on in America today? Okay, who is convincing who that all of the problems in America, all of the problems that's going on, and all the bad people are who? Well, let's just point it, Frank. The left, and I'm not going to say liberals because not all liberals are like this. I've got liberal friends who are not like this. I got liberal friends who hate cancel culture. Okay. The left is all cancel culture. Okay. And that's what they're wanting to do. They're they're telling you, hey, conservatives are bad. Conservatives are wrong. They hate people. They are white supremacists. They are this. They are that, which is not true. Are there white supremacists out there? Yes. And they need to be put in jail or put in some kind of a program because, I mean, that's not cool. White supremacy, white supremacy goes against everything we stand for as Christians. Okay. And it's, it's, it's hate. There should be no racism, racism any, anywhere in a country. But if you are conservative, you, and, and so many people have lumped everybody together with this from the left, you're a white supremacist. 
you're racist. Okay. You're the problem with this country. And that's what's happening with cancel culture. That's what she was explaining. That's what she was stating. Okay. She did not compare it to the Holocaust. She compared it to what built up to the Holocaust and Disney fired her for it. Now, I've heard people say, well, it's an employer-employee situation, so they're allowed to do that. Really? So you're telling me it has nothing to do with being pressured from social media and from other CEOs and other left-wing activists to fire her for this, to cancel her, had nothing to do with it. If that's the case, and it's an employee-employer situation, why did her co-host, Pedro Pascal, in 2018-ish, 2017? post something very similar. He compared kids in cages, okay? He was going on against Trump, uh, uh, ran against Trump. He's a leftist about kids in cages at the border and compared it to Jews and Nazis being rounded up in concentration camps. Where's the difference, okay? And which, by the way, his post, which he didn't delete, um, the picture of the kids, wasn't even from kids at the border. They were from like Pakistan or somewhere, okay? So, it's okay for Pedro, Mando himself, to use the Holocaust and not be, la- as an example here, and not be labeled anti-Semitic. But when a conservative, Gina, posts a Holocaust post in comparison to, to an idea here, or to what's going on here, she's now anti-Semitic. Well, you're wrong, okay? It's cancel culture at its fullest. And I'm going to prove it, you know, again, how you're wrong, because... Yes, Disney fired her, but she just got an awesome new job. Because guess what happened? The most Jewish person in America, Ben Shapiro, as he calls himself, and Daily Wire, just hired Gina Carano for their next movie. Okay? They just did Run, Hide, Fight, which we will discuss about later in the show. That's a very big movie, very popular movie. Uh, And uh, they just hired her to not only star in, but write and produce the next big film from Daily Wire. Okay? So I think it's hilarious that if she made such an anti-Semitic remark, how did she just get hired by the most Jewish person in America to do a movie, right? Okay. And I've had people say, well, you know, Ben Shapiro will hire anybody just to make money. No, I guarantee you Ben Shapiro did that, one, in support of Gina Carano because he's a conservative, and two, to give the biggest slap in the face to cancel culture. Cancel culture is a problem in America. It's huge, and it is coming for everybody who is conservative, Republican, or Christian. I've been saying it for a while um, to many, many friends and many people. Um, it takes one step and the steps keep coming and the process, the persecution that Christians, especially and, and conservatives are doing it right now, Christian or not, um, are, are going through it. Um, you're going to find it through litigation and cancel culture. And that's what's happening. So go read it. It's been crazy, but you know, it's cool though, because the number one trending topic on Twitter for almost two days was cancel Disney plus. And I think they've lost over a hundred thousand subscriptions, uh, because this, because rightfully so. It's time for people to be able to stand up and voice their opinion, okay? Just because you believe differently than somebody else does not mean you need to be attacked or that you need to attack people for it. Jesus tells us our number one commandment is to love love God and then love our neighbor more more than ourselves. That's 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 top dog. That's top number one, okay? Jesus tells us specifically. How can you love your neighbor even if they don't look like you, if they don't think like you, they don't believe the same things you believe, it does not matter. There is not a guideline that Jesus sets out that says you can lo- you you love your neighbor more than yourself unless dot dot dot. That is not what Jesus says. Jesus says you love your neighbor more than yourself, period. Okay? You may not, you know, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. That does not mean you have to support or condone things that someone believes. 
if it goes against what you believe or what the Bible says, okay? However, that does not mean you hate them. That does not mean you attack them. That does not mean you cancel them. You still show them love. You let them know, hey, this is how I feel. This is what the Bible says. I don't agree with this, but I still love you, and I'm not going to cancel you for it. Unfortunately, the left is completely opposite of that, and they want to cancel everybody if you don't believe what they believe. All right, on to the next one. And then we'll move into a song for you guys and then jump into the entertainment review section. Um, so the last thing we'll talk about is the House has released or submitted um, recently the House Resolution 127. This is what the conservatives are calling the gun ban. Okay, this is the new gun laws that they want to instill or instate. And I'm all for, you know, because of violence in America, I understand we need to refine some of the gun laws to help prevent school shootings and things like that. Totally for it. Okay, this this article goes hand in hand with one of the movies that we are going to be talking about in just a moment, Run, Hide, Fight, that deals with this topic. Um, and so I'm, I'm not against gun laws. Okay, and I'm a gun owner. Okay, I believe that there should be some type of gun laws. However, I don't believe that the government has a right to take our guns away from us, period. Okay, that's unconstitutional and no go. And this new gun ban, or it's not called gun ban, okay, but that's what the conservatives are calling it, is pretty much making it to where you can't own a gun. And I'm going to point out a few things of how this is how this is happening. First, okay, a section of this is required information. I'm just reading from the actual House resolution itself. Again, please go to our government's website, pull this stuff up, read it for yourself. Required information, okay? Under the new registration system, the owner of a firearm shall transmit to the Bureau the make, model, serial number of the firearm, the identity of the owner of the firearm, the date the firearm was acquired by the owner, and where the firearm is or will be stored, presumably in your home, your vehicle, wherever, okay? So you have to give them every bit of information for that gun. Make, model, serial number, who you are, when you bought it, where you bought it from, and where you're keeping it in your home. Why? Because they have a new database coming out. The Attorney General shall establish and maintain a database of all firearms registered pursuant to this subsection. So they're going to know what, who owns a firearm, what type of firearm it is, and where it's at in their home. Okay, That's the goal of this database. Two major problems with this. One, this database will be public. Okay, Two, criminals are not going to register a firearm. Why would they? They absolutely will not register a firearm. Okay, So they're not going to have a database of Okay, well, this person's a criminal, so we'll know if they have a gun. No, you won't, because a criminal's not going to do that. Okay, they're not going to be like, well, you know, I rob liquor stores, so but here, here's my firearm, and here's where it's going to be kept, just so you know, it's not going to happen. And plus, it's public, so if you've got somebody or a criminal who has any type of intelligence needing to get a gun, he can just go onto this database, find somebody who lives near him, and find out where their gun is kept, and then go get it. Okay, bad idea, number one. Okay, you also have to have a general license, which you do anyways. Okay, when you register, you've got to have a gun license, whether it's 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 you know open carry or concealed carry. Uh, not against a gun license. I mean, I don't definitely believe you should get one. Okay, do it the right way. So, and here is the guidelines: what you have to have in order to obtain a, a license. Got to be at least twenty-one years of age. Don't agree with that. Eighteen seems very much more reasonable. However, I think even sixteen depending on what type of firearm it is, should be able to. Because what kid didn't go hunting with their father or their uncle or their grandfather for a deer or for duck hunting or whatever it may be with a shotgun or a 22, you know, that's a little extreme, 21 years of age. Because guess what? Criminals don't start 
at 21. You know, they don't just say, oh, I'm 21 now. Now it's time to start being a criminal. Okay. No, they just do it when they're ready. And 18, 17, 16, doesn't matter. I think 21 is a little high. 18, I think is a good, you know, common ground that I can get on that board with. Uh, But again, I think there should be stipulations to where a 16 year old um, either can be licensed to carry or use a firearm. Maybe it be owned by their parent so that they can go hunting with their father. Okay. That is a pastime that's been going on forever, not just in America, but all across the world. Okay. So you have to undergo a criminal background check. Totally cool with that. Completely agree. Okay. We don't need to give someone who's been arrested three times for robbing a liquor store um, a gun. You have to undergo a psychological evaluation. I totally get that. We are worried about with the situation when it comes to the school, like especially with school shootings. They've talked about a lot of these people have been, are mentally unstable. Okay. I agree. Let's make sure that you are good to go. Okay. So I can understand a psychological evaluation. That's a lot to do. Okay. Let's just be honest. Um, but I don't think everyone needs to go through a psych eval. If you have, if you pass the criminal background check and you ace it with flying colors and there's a, you never been having any issues, I don't see a point in you doing a psych eval. However, if you do have a criminal background check comes back and it doesn't state that, hey, you've robbed a liquor store or a convenience store, but you have had some small run-ins with the law. Okay, whether it's, you know, been jailed for truancy or not paying child support or just something minor is what I'm saying, okay? Then, you know, or hey, you know, police have had to been called because of domestic disturbance in your house because you and your spouse have fought or, or whatever, okay? Or you've been arrested for it. you've got a DUI, not exactly a gun charge, okay? But you obviously drink. Then at that point, if it's something minimal like that or small like that, yes, you have to have a have psych eval. Now with the psych eval, of course, they also need to complete a training course of at least 24 hours of training. Totally cool with that 100%. Okay. If you're going to own a gun, you need to know how to properly use it. You need to know how to properly store it. You need to know how to, to take care of that weapon. All right. So you, totally cool. Training course. Yeah. 24 hours of training minimum. Totally cool with that. I mean, I, I can get on board with that. All right. Also, and the last piece of this is, and we'll get into this, is you have to have, in effect, an insurance policy for your gun. We'll get into that in a minute because that's an interesting part. The psychological evaluation, okay, that is supposed to be done by, conducted by a licensed psychologist approved by the attorney general, okay? Well, that makes sense if you're going to do a psyche eval to have a licensed psychologist do it. Evaluation of, now this is what comes with it too, not just an eval of you, but this psychologist has to do an evaluation of other members of the household in which the individual resides as part of this eval. So they have to come in and at least two other people has to be interviewed. Hey, are you, is this person okay to own a gun? What do you think? Okay. Now these people can be your spouse, a former spouse. That's a problem for some people. Two other persons who are a family member of the individual, an associate of the individual uh, to further determine the mental state, emotional and relational stability of the individual in regards to owning this firearm. Okay. Not everybody's going to be like me and my ex-wife, my daughter's mom. We are on great terms. We're still great friends. Okay. And if she was to apply for a gun and they came to me and say, can she own a gun? Is she mentally stable? Yes, absolutely. And I know she would do the same for me. But now you're in a situation where you have a former spouse who was abusive. And that happens, unfortunately, a lot in America. And you go to try to get a gun and you're a good person and you deserve to own a gun. But your former spouse who abused you, they call him or her because let's be honest, females can abuse males just as easily in the relationship. And they say, can she own a gun? 
and that former spouse who does not like you, who abused you, says no. There you go. You can't get a firearm. That's ridiculous. That is absurd. So the psych eval section definitely needs to be fine-tuned a lot. Um, now, as far as the insurance goes, the next section we'll talk about on this one, and then we'll jump into the penalties, and then we'll go to the ne- you know move forwards. Here's the here's the fun part of the insurance. The attorney general shall issue to any person who has applied for a license pursuant to sub to the subsection, and has paid to the attorney general the fee specified. Okay, so the attorney general is going to issue this insurance, and you have to pay the attorney general the fee for this insurance. Why is an insurance company not paying for this? What program or what insurance policy? Have they shown us, or will they show us, that an attorney general can run? I don't want an attorney, the attorney general handling my insurance policy. I don't want the attorney general handling my insurance policy for my car. I don't want the attorney general handling insurance policy for my home or my health. Okay, I want an insurance policy that focuses and deals with just that type of thing to handle it. So I don't understand why the attorney general, you know, they're the ones who are issuing it, and you have to pay them. All right, So, but here's the big kicker. This insurance policy that you have to have in order to own a firearm is a one-year period. So you have to renew it every year. You have to renew your insurance every year. That's like, I mean, we pay monthly for our health insurance or pay monthly for our car insurance, okay? This is a one-year period that you have to renew once a year. Here's the fee. The fee specified for this insurance that we don't know what, you know, it's supposed to um, insure the person against liability for losses and damages resulting from the use of the firearm, which makes sense, okay? But other than that, we don't know anything else about this insurance policy. But it's going to cost you $800 a year. $800. So in order for you to own a gun, not only are you going to have to pay a ton of money to, to be able to just get the gun. I mean, you're going to pay hundreds of dollars to buy the weapon. Okay. And then you're going to have to pay money for the criminal background check because they're not going to pay for you. You're going to have to pay money for the psych eval. You're going to have to pay money for the, uh, in, you know, for, uh, sorry, the money for the criminal background check, money for the psych eval. You're going to pay money for the training for 24 hours of training. Okay. So you're going to sink hundreds of dollars into a weapon. You're going to sink hundreds of dollars into a background check, an eval, and training to own the weapon. Okay. And then you have to pay $800 a year to keep the weapon. That's absolutely absurd. If you're making minimum wage, whether it's $7.25 or $15 an hour, forget it. They do not want you to own a gun. They're not going to let you own a gun. You can't own a gun underneath this bill. Who's going to be able to afford that? Well, to make it easier, what happens if, okay, I bought a gun, I paid for the background check, I paid for the eval, and I paid for the, the training course, but I don't have the money to pay for the insurance. Well, they already know everything's registered, and they'll know if you don't have the insurance. Okay, so if I don't have the insurance, what happens? Oh, oh, well, there's penalties. And what are the penalties for not having insurance? Oh, okay. Well, um, if you violate that section and don't have insurance, uh, you can be fined not less than $75,000 and not more than $150,000 or imprisoned for not less than 15 years or not more than 25 years. There you go. They're going to know whether or not if you have insurance because you have to register and all this information to be able to get this gun and all this money you got to pay for the gun, they're going to know if you don't have insurance. And if you don't have insurance, then the penalty is $75,000 to $150,000 and 15 years to 25 years in prison. They don't want you to own a fire gun. They're wanting to take guns away from citizens. That is clearly what's going on with this, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, it pretty much lines out here. Last thing on this one, though, I didn't forget to say is ammunition. Okay. It is now going to become, it shall be, if this passes, unlawful for any person to possess a large capacity ammunition feeding device. What is that? I don't own a gun. I don't know. That means your, your magazine, your clip, the belt, the drum feed, feed strip, you need some more device that has the capacity and holds the ammo. Okay. Cannot have more than 10 rounds of ammunition 
10 rounds, period. Now, that makes sense if you got a shotgun. For those who don't know a shotgun, most of the time they will hold five to seven rounds, depending on the shell size. Okay. But if you want a handgun, and we're not talking a revolver, okay? Not talking a revolver holds six shots, we know. But a, a standard handgun, a nine millimeter, a Glock, okay? Not a 380. Some 380s, they'd have smaller clip sizes because they're smaller bullets and a smaller gun. But your standard handgun, the, the most sold handguns, okay, that you're allowed to have range from 12 to 15 rounds in that gun standard. No handgun has 10. Okay. It is unlawful for any person to possess a large capacity ammunition feeding device. So your magazine cannot hold more than 10 rounds when your standard nine millimeter or Glock holds 12 to 15, if not more. Okay. So extended clips are definitely out the door, but I don't understand how this is going to pass when standard guns are made to hold, standard handguns are made to hold more than 10 rounds. Okay. If this passes every nine millimeter, every Glock is now illegal because it holds more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Well, what comes with that? What happens if you own one and they pass this bill and it now becomes illegal? Well, you're violating this. And what happens when you violate it? We're going to find you and throw you in jail. Well, what is, what are the fines? Fines for large ammunition capacity. Okay shall not be less than $10,000 and not more than $25,000 and shall not be in prison, not less than one year and not more than five years or both. So you can be paying, if you own a standard handgun, when this passes and your clip, your standard clip, I have um, friends who've got nine millimeters and things like that. And most of their clips hold 15 rounds. Okay. So if they own that, when this passes, and it's just the standard. It's what they came away with it. It's not like it's something they added to make more rounds. This comes standard with it. 15 rounds of ammunition in the clip. They can be fined up to $25,000 in five years in prison. It's absolutely ridiculous. I'm praying and believing it doesn't pass, but um, we can see where things are going in this country. And again, all this stuff that's in the news, this is not stuff that's all you know big front page because right now they're dealing with the impeachment. Go dig through. Go see what's going on. Cancel culture is huge, and we are dealing with this. And again, praying for it. We know it's going to happen. You know, um, the Bible lines out. It tells us exactly what's going to happen. And so this has definitely been foreseeable. Um, but um, it, cancel culture is coming, or is, is here, and we need to be aware of it. And we need to be aware of the laws that, are, that they're stating and what's going on. So hopefully this helps you all kind of get an understanding from, you know, conservative and Christian view um, of what's, what's happening here. And again, we're supposed to follow the law of the land, okay? unless it <clears throat> that said law tells us something to do something contrary to God's word and God's law, then you don't do it. But if it's not, then you have to follow it. So unfortunately, if this bill passes, it's a law we have to follow. Um, I think it's crap and all of a sudden my guns have disappeared, but you know, that is what it is. So anyways, that's news for you. We're going to give you a quick song break, give you a little breaks. I know that was quite a bit of news. Again, now that we're moving to two weeks or two, uh, two shows a month every two weeks, um, we're going to be able to hopefully lighten the load on the news and have, you know, just two or three things instead of, you know, five or six. Um, but uh, first song of the night, I think I just felt, I, you know, Sludge went easy on you all last show. You know Sludge loves his heavy music. Um, didn't really give you something too heavy. Going to give you something a little heavier this time. And I felt this song was just perfect with what we're kind of dealing with in the news and politics today. So this is Fit for a King, Stockholm.
And that was Fit for King with Stockholm. Man, I love that band. So a uh, great band. Check them out. The new album that they just released here recently, The Path, is absolutely phenomenal. Definitely worth checking out. So now it's time for the entertainment review. And I know normally Micah runs this section, and I miss him greatly, but because of the technical difficulties last night, uh, we had to re-record everything, and I don't have him with me here. Um, so Micah, love you. Sorry about this, but we were running this. And we did two movies for me again with this entertainment review. We are trying to give you up coming or new movie releases or TV shows um, that are very popular that maybe a family would want to watch and whether or not it would be good for a Christian family to review that. This episode, we are doing the new Disney Pixar movie, Soul, and then we're doing the Daily Wire's first film, feature film, Run, Hide, Fight. Um, now, Sarah will do Soul and talk about that film and what it, its in, ins and outs were. I will then jump into Run, Hide, Fight because Micah um, and Sarah did not feel comfortable enough watching that one because of just the amount of language um, that's in the movie. Um, so we'll be discussing both films. Um, but right now, I'm just going to pass it on over to my wife. Sarah, take it away. Okay, so Pixar's soul is about a jazz pianist who has a near-death experience and gets stuck in the afterlife, contemplating his choices and regretting the existence that he mostly took for granted. So I wouldn't recommend this for anyone, really. That's... Uh, well, just anyone, not just Christians, but uh, Pete Doctor, one of the directors of the film, is a professing, professing Christian, which really shocked me. Um, there's so much in this movie. I'm just going to be able to go over a few things that I found. Um, like there's one piece where it talks, where it shows like the souls going into these machines, like they're getting their own personalities. Uh -huh. So it kind of makes me think of like the born this way mentality, which is not of God. Um, you know, and also, well, they even made mention in the beginning after they do the machine that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I just remember, and I laughed hysterically at it, but the scene where the one little fresh soul steps up to like the little podium, or whatever, and says, I'm a maniacal <laughs> megalomaniac. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that goes right into it that that's what he's that soul's supposed to be before it's even born. Right. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. And then there's even, um, there's some mystics, is what they call them, even in the film. Uh, they're, they're people that are alive that are actually using meditation to get into, uh, it's called the astral plane is uh, what new age people would call it, but into the, like the in-between, you know, where souls go kind of thing. So they can go by using meditation uh, into this realm. And Joe, who is the main character who fell and uh, died, is in this plane with them. But he's wanting to get back into his body. So the mystics decide that he needs to do yoga to be able to get back into his body. And the mystic, one of the main mystics tells him to use his crown chakra, uh, which is very scary to me because it's actually uh, represents the union with the higher self and the divine is what the, the crown chakra is. It's the one on your head or up That's, above it. Isn't it also known as the seventh chakra, I think? Yeah. 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 Number seven means something biblically. Yep. And um, there's also, you know, well, like what I just mentioned, it's it's called trans astral transmigration. That's where you can use the the meditation to uh, to leave your body. We also call it like an out of body experience. And there's people that claim that they can actually do this. Um, so yeah, that's it's really heavy in that movie. And there's also these things that are called Jerry. So it's not ever revealed whether they are male or female, but there's multiple. They're like counselors to the new souls. And 
Joe, the main character, asks one of the Jerry's what she or he is. And Jerry says, I'm the coming together of all quantized fields of the universe. So the from what I understand with New Age, so your whole point here on life is to, to ascend to a higher self, to continually grow to the higher self. And as far as I can understand, Jerry is actually one. That's why they all have the same name. Jerry yeah. is the universe because they have ascended so high to that point. So it's like they're just not saying there's, you know, there's not one God, but it's just we're all God. Yeah. As you go with that, yeah. Kind of reminds me like pantheism. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's just, you know, hey, that's going right into our kids. You know, mm-hmm. here you go. And I know that they, you know, a lot of people get mad at Christianity, especially in America today. It's like, as far as indoctrinating, you know, you can't have this law or you can't state this about society because you're indoctrinating them into Christianity. Uh, what's happening with this movie right here? You're indoctrinating them right into new age spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not good. And it's very anti-biblical. Um, and when you just look at the preview, it just looks like a good fun film. You know, I've got, we've got Christian friends that's watched this and I'm viewing it have felt odd watching it mm-hmm. but they thought it was just gonna be a good kids film and it's not and this is what's going right into our children i don't know if i mentioned it but it, it's it goes into reincarnation as well and predestination and there's just other theories like quantum theory uh with the jerry's i could even go into all that because it's just it, it's just so much and it's it's very deep yeah and very up, up front in the movie mm-hmm. like it's very upfront. major i mean it's the biggest part of the film which stinks too, because I mean, yeah, you said Peter Pete Doctor professes to be a Christian, and I don't know if he's pushing New Age and progressive Christianity together, is what it seems like on this. Um, but he also gave us Monsters Inc., and I love mm-hmm. that movie. Well, he actually there was a quote that I saw somebody else. I was watching other reviews, and uh, there was a quote, and I don't know his exact words, but he was getting at that he didn't want to tell other people how to think, like pushing his Christianity Christianity onto other people. But yet he's he's doing this. Yeah, he's pushing new age on other people mm-hmm. and young children. So, so soul's definitely a no go um, for your kids. I know it looks all nice and fun and it's pretty and bright colors, but uh, no. He can present himself as an angel of light. Exactly. I think that's what he's because when we watched it, we were all just like, "Wow, this is uh, pretty pretty bad." Yeah, pretty bad. So, um, yeah. So I mean, apologize. Soul is going to be a no go. On to the next one's going to be Run, Hide, Fight. This is Daily Wire's uh, first fi- feature film. Uh, ben Shapiro's company that he owns, and uh, Michael Knowles is part of it as well. Um, but Daily Wire put out Run, Hide, Fight, which deals with, uh, it's a very, very, very conservative film. Um, I thought it was a, a good thing to put out, uh, a conservative film against a liberal film like The Hunt that came out of last year, I think, um, which I uh, won't even get into that movie, but that is a really bad film. Pretty much, but a group of elites get to pay money to hunt and kill people. Um, and the message of the movie is very much a liberal versus conservative. And the conservatives are portrayed as the people who are being hunted um, in the film. Uh, actually, the film release was delayed heavily because of the content of the movie uh, before it was finally brought out because there's a lot of um, people speaking out against the film and backlash for it. But it eventually got released. Um, but, uh, conservative or as a conservative film, I feel like run, hide, fight is something that's very opposite of that. Um, but it was a good film. Now, Micah didn't watch it all because of the amount of language. Um, some, you, know, you didn't want to watch it. Yeah, I didn't want to. Um, 
then. So that, so I took the, <clears throat> took the reins and ran with this movie and watched it. And, uh, um, it, it, message wise, it's got an insanely, insanely strong, good message. Um, even though it deals with school shooting, um, of course the whole run, hide, fight is part of the three rules, you know, and, in actual schools, as far as what happens when a school shooting happens, run first, hide, and then at all last options, fight. And um, through this movie, it's about a character named Zoe. Um, it's the end of her senior year, and uh, um, she's dealing with the death of her mother, who just recently passed away from cancer. Her father is a uh, um, former Army vet, um, and uh, at the very beginning of the movie, they are out deer hunting. And she bags a deer. She shoots a deer, uh, but it doesn't die immediately. And this is important um, to the film that her dad says, well, I hope we don't didn't have to come to this point yet in our lessons. Um, but, you know, this deer didn't die right away. So we can either let nature take its course, which will be slow and painful and blood will fill the lungs. And while he's going on, giving a spill about what's going on, she walks off screen, grabs a massive rock. I mean, like a boulder. And comes walking back over while he's still talking and just smashes it on this deer's head and kills it. So mm-hmm. openly at the very beginning showing she's got some major issues she's dealing with. Um, and it all stems to the death of her mother and how she's dealing with it and she can't let her go. You actually see her mom throughout the film. She talks to her mom and sees her mom and her mom's a major character. And at the beginning of the movie, um, her mom, you know, of course she died from cancer, looks like a cancer patient uh, near the end. I mean, very sick, no hair. She's in like kind of the hospital gown type deal. But as it progresses through, as she goes to school, and this kid named Tristan, which kind of sucks because that's my first name, um, comes barreling through the lunchroom with his van, which is actually a big bomb, uh, with uh, three other students, and they start killing kids and take hostages and start this whole situation. Um, Zoe um, actually has an opportunity to escape and goes outside the building, but then stops and goes back in the school because she's determined that she has got to try and save as many kids as possible. And that's what she does throughout the film. While they're in the lunchroom and they start live streaming this stuff, she's going around trying to get as many kids out that are still in classrooms as possible. And then, of course, she starts fighting these terrorists, is what we'll call them, because that's what they are, these school shooters. Uh, she starts fighting them, picking them off one by one uh, to save the lives of these kids. Her and her mom interact through the film, through the process of all this that's going on. And as this happens, each time you see her mom, her mom starts looking healthier and healthier and healthier. She gets her hair back. She gets color in her face back, more fullness. And she even mentions early in the film, her mother does, that the, there's just somebody who won't let her go. And it, clearly you're talking to Zoe about it. But as Zoe realizes the reason why she's doing this and the purpose of her doing this is, is laying her life down to save the lives of these other kids, some that she, some she knows, she even you know talks about you know one girl that gets killed. She's like, I didn't even know her. I just knew that she loved horses. You know that she's laying her life down to try and save anybody and everybody. She gets a healing in that process of that sacrifice, and which I think you know it's not blatantly biblical in the movie, but I mean that's a biblical thing. I mean, <clears throat> God says there's no greater thing than to lay your life down for for your brother. Um, I think that that is a big message of that, and that she progresses through doing that her mother starts healing you see her and then all of a sudden her mother says thank you zoe's finally let is able got to a point where she can let her go in doing this so there's a major conservative message of healing and standing up for what's right and protecting um, your fellow man 
but unfortunately, it is extremely language heavy. Um, there's a lot of language in this movie. Um, violence is, as far as the amount, I would say it's like a medium level compared to other action flicks. However, due to the content, you see a lot of students get shot, students get killed, as well as faculty, just the content of what the subject matter is. I would rate the violence as very heavy. So this is not something that you would definitely ever, I wouldn't even recommend for you know your preteen or teenager to watch um, this film at all. Um, there is brief nudity also in the film. Um, there's a scene where a Spanish teacher is made by the school shooters to take her shirt off or she's going to, they're going to kill students. And in a very embarrassing moment, the teacher does what this kid asks in order to protect her kids. So it's a very embarrassing, humbling moment. Um, now you don't see anything, you know, the camera angles have always kept with that out of light. Um, but that's still kind of there. So it's not really like a sexual thing. It's more of a humiliation. Very much so. Very much so. And her willing to do something so humiliate, humiliating in order to save the lives of her students. Um, so contextually, um, it's not as bad as something you would think. It's not a sex scene by any means. But there's, it's still there. Um, you don't see most of it because the way they handled the shooting of the film was quite genius. Um, actually, one angle where you do see the teacher with her shirt off uh, in full form, um, the angle is is at the window of the room, and the sunlight coming through, which is clearly added in CGI, uh, blocks most of what you see. Um, so they handled it extremely well, but however, it is still in there and needs to be known. So recommendation for this movie, while the message is strong, the message is very good. Um, the content is rough. It's very, it's for a lot of language, heavy violence, brief partial nudity. Um, so it's definitely not a recommended for a Christian or Christian family. Um, I mean, of course, you know, work out your own salvation. Um, but we just wanted to let you guys know that. So sorry, we didn't have any good movies. We could okay this time around with soul or run, hide, fight. Um, but again, that's the purpose of this section is to make sure and let you all know, Hey, before you go, it may not seem like it's going to be that bad of a movie. Here's what's really in it. Um, so that you know what you're bringing into your household or shouldn't be bringing into your household. Anything else? I was just going to say, um, in our conversation that, uh, the recording was messed up. Uh, Reese (laughs) mentioned, uh, he talked about vid angel. Yes, that's right. He did. Um, that's an app that you can get that will remove language or you can have different settings, right? Yeah. Remove language, nudity. Violence. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the message of like run, hide, fight is definitely strong. That's something you'd want to watch. You know, I mean, by means the the message and the meaning of the film is extremely good. Uh, I would recommend only watching it with VidAngel with the setting for the language and Mm -hmm. the violence and stuff. So, but definitely worth checking out. I know we here at our house, me and Sarah, are going to be are working on trying to get VidAngel onto our Rokus to try that out. So, because then I can watch Die Hard again <laughs> without it being on mute, you know? For All, what? Five minutes? Maybe at most. So, got to love those 80s action films, man. They were full of language back then. So, but all right. Well, that's the entertainment section. Again, um, sorry we cannot condone Soul or Run, Hide, Fight uh, as good positive films to watch, but hopefully we'll get a new movie, you know, and that you guys can. So, hopefully they'll make something that we can be like, hey, yeah, go watch this film because it needs to be watched. So, but uh, all right, we're going to move on to the next song, give you guys a break, and then we're going to bring Reese on to give you all his testimony. Uh, this next song I'm being very biased on. This is My Band Awaken. We are fixing to drop our new album, Monsters and Machines, on February 26th. And this is the newest single we had just released to promote that. It is called Graveyards. Here you go. 
And that was Awaken with Graveyard. So make sure and check out the new record as it drops February 26th, right around the corner. And now the most important part of the show that we've been super stoked about is getting my brother, Reese Averett. We go to church together. Um, God really hit me as far as the deep dive section to be adding in testimonies. It's so important that we get testimonies out there because our testimonies is our life. It's, it's everything and what Jesus has done for us. And, and I was like, okay, God, that's what you want me to do. Let's confirm it. And almost immediately, same day, Reese reaches out to me 
And you, you were like, dude, you were like, hey, man, I want to be on you. I want, let me do your te- my testimony on the show. And I knew right then and there, God's like, there's your confirmation. So, Reese Averett, man, what's up? Hey, what's going on, brother, man? Uh, just so excited to be here tonight and just really glad to, that you invited me to be on your show. And just, I love giving my testimony. I, I think uh, the testimony is the most powerful thing that you can give to someone because it's your it's your encounter, your story. And, uh, you know, nobody can really say anything against it, right? I mean, it's your life. It's what happened. Right, and absolutely. So it's kind of like, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus, you know, he had that encounter. And, and you know, and after he met Jesus, and Jesus was like, man, why are you persecuting my people? You oh, know, yeah. and he went blind. And then he was like, you had that encounter. And then look what, what happened to him, man. He just became a completely different human being. And then, and then we all know that, you know, where, where he wrote, you know, basically a third of the Bible. So it's like, you know, when you have an encounter with Christ, you know, it's, it's life changing to that, to that level. And so I'm just excited to be here, man. And just, just really glad to be able to, to get my testimony out there. I'm hoping that people will connect with me on certain levels. Uh, my life's a pretty crazy, pretty crazy story, but uh, I definitely want to share it with you guys. So I want to start off and just kind of give you a little bit of background about me so you can understand, you know, kind of how I got to where I was. Because I think it's important for people to understand um, that, you know, your childhood, things you go through, it really affects you and kind of, you know, brings you through the 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 cycle of life to how you got to this point, right? Right, yep, so, absolutely. So basically, uh, I was raised up in Texas uh, in a small town about 30 miles south of Dallas. And basically, um, uh, I ain't going to give my age out, but I was there in the 70s. <laughs> uh, uh, basically, uh, at the age of eight, my parents got a divorce. And that's kind of when things started. So, um you know, being an eight-year-old boy, uh, you know, how do you pick between your mom and your dad? You I mean it's it's just so confusing, oh, yeah. and you know, you know, I mean, it's like you go one day living with your mom and dad, and now you're, you know, moving in. You know, your mom, my mom got custody of me and my my little brother, so uh, now I'm not with my dad, and I'm just so confused and sad, and you know, just like man, just didn't really know what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't too much longer after that. Um, that my mom met a gentleman from California. Uh, we were in Texas. Uh, he was in Texas and they met, uh, this was probably, uh, I would say about two years after the divorce. Um, and, uh, they started getting pretty serious and then they got married and I had a stepdad. And so, uh, he was Jewish. And so he kind of introduced me to the Jewish culture. I mean, he wasn't really a practicing Jew in so many words, but, you know, he, uh, he was a Jew and, uh, basically my mom informed me and my brother that, Hey, we're moving to Los Angeles. And so I was like, okay, I was just excited. Like, you know, and we're going to be beach bums and, you know, it was just all, <laughs> all this hype. And I was like, all right. So you take this little country dude out of Midlothian, Texas, and you, you know, you put him in Los Angeles in 1985 and, uh, well, been, you know, it had to be a culture shock. Yeah, right it was, man. It was culture shock at the highest level. And so I went to a junior high there in Van Nuys, California, right there in San Fernando Valley is where I basically grew up. I was like a Valley, you know, yo Valley, bro. You know, I was one of those <laughs> dudes and, uh, you got this country twangy, Hey, how y'all doing accent? And 
all the guys are walking around with hair nets, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like these guys are from the barrio, you know, they're, they're like gangsters, you know what I mean? It just, it was, it was culture shock at the highest level. And so I learned very quickly, uh, you know, I had two stepbrothers. I had one that was older than me, one that was younger and, uh, they were, but we were about a year apart. My older brother was, his name was Matthew and he was about a year older than me. And the my other stepbrother was Mitchell and he was about a year younger than me. And then my real brother, Eric, he was about four years younger than me. Well, he is four years. And so I had these two new brothers and, um, you know, we, we went to junior high together and basically I was scared out of my life. You know, I was basically running for my life. These guys are out there playing handball. And I was like, man, I mean, I was scared to death because I'd never been around this type of, uh, you know, this culture, this environment. Mm -hmm. And um, had several run-ins with different guys. And I was a pretty thin guy. I was short and and skinny, very skinny. And uh, I was pretty, I was pretty, pretty scared. You know, I would, I, I would say that I was just terrified, you know, honestly, uh, for the first couple couple years of being in Los Angeles. I mean, I remember, I think maybe six months after we moved there, um, I heard a helicopter outside and I was like, what is that? <laughs> and I came out of the, I came out and their LA SWAT team was across the street and, uh, they had a lady, a lady, had, a guy had a woman hostage and I came out of the house and I was like, you know, what's going on? And the LAPD came over the microphone on the, on the helicopter. He's like, Little boy in red shirt, get in your house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was kind of my first experience with LAPD, you know. But, no, things got really crazy. My mom was so wrapped up my stepdad that I really started uh, hanging out with the wrong crew, uh, did a lot of skateboarding, and uh, started going to the beach on the weekends, going boogie boarding. But, uh, you know, hung out with a lot of dudes that were skate skaters mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, started going to parties, you know, and took my first drink and smoked my first cigarette and, you know, and it just kind of went on from there, you know, things, uh, I mean, I wasn't, you know, an alcoholic by any means, but that's really where I first started, you know, it was probably, I don't know, I was in eighth grade, probably for probably 13, 14 years old yeah. when I first started drinking. And then when I got into high school, uh, I actually transferred to a different school. And uh, that's when I started hanging out with the guys in the neighborhood and it really started going downhill. So that's when I was really introduced to you know, hard liquor and, you know, started smoking marijuana and, uh, you know, just hanging out with the wrong crew, man. Uh, my older brother, he was actually, uh, didn't know it, but most, you know, when I was young, but as I got older, I, I realized what he was doing, right. but he was a drug dealer and he was dealing, you know, he, he was small time and just start off selling weed, but, uh, there, he got really deep into it by high school, uh, right after high school. I mean, he was actually working, um, under, you know, with some, you know, he was really big. I'll just say that. And, uh, he was doing a lot of highly illegal things and driving fancy cars. And I mean, he had big wads of cash in his, in his pocket at all the times and guns. And I was like, and scales. And I was like, all right, so you're no longer dealing weed, bro. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, just the guys I hung out with, man, they were, were, you know, pretty much like brothers to me, you know, they, we really didn't have supervision. And so, um, you know, things just really went haywire for me. I mean, I just, you know, got deeper into, into drugs and alcohol and, uh, probably my worst moment was 1989. I was in what 11th grade and, uh, Thanksgiving night, man, we robbed nine liquor stores in a row, you know? Wow. So it just, things just got, you know, it just spiraled, you know, it's like it, it, it got worse. And so one thing I want to share for, you know, with teenagers, my heart is, man, you are who you hang around with. I didn't realize that then, obviously, but 
when you're hanging out with a bad crowd, or you're hanging out with a kid that's doing these things, more than likely you're going to be doing the same thing. Yeah. And so I'm not just saying, you know, hanging out in the neighborhood, but I mean, that's with anybody. I mean, anybody that's doing things that are bad, eventually you're going to be doing the same things. And I didn't really realize that until it was too late. Um, by the time I was 18, man, I don't know how I got out of high school, uh, but my mom and stepdad, after 10 years of marriage or whatever, they got a divorce. And my mom's like, I'm going back to Texas. You can stay here or you can come with me. And I was like, man, I ain't got nothing going on. I'm just worthless right now, 18 years old and just graduated. And I was in trouble. Got I got arrested. And, you know, and I was just like, man, I need to get out of here. Change of scenery. Things were not going well for me. And so I moved to Texas with my mom and I was like, all right, cool, man. Let's change the scenery. This is going to be better. And it didn't get better. It got worse. <laughs> so, yeah. so as an adult, I mean, I started the, the nightclub, you know, I could get into nightclubs and of course I'm, you know, paying older people to get me drinks. And, you know, I mean, it just, it, it really, my sin just got deeper and deeper, you know, I mean, it started really, you know, sleeping with women and, and experiencing, you know, uh, the sexual sin in a, in a deep way. And basically, um, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, I would say by the time I was 21, I mean, I was just out of control. I mean, it was just women and sex and drugs and alcohol seven days a week. And, uh, you know, many, there were many a nights where I, I know for sure I should have been dead. I mean, just bar fights. I've been shot at, been stabbed a couple of times. I mean, just, just putting myself in situations that, you know, were very dangerous. Uh, I had this chip on my shoulder, you know, Hey, I'm from LA, you know, I'm this bad, you know, I'm this, this guy don't mess with me, you know, I'll blow up on you. I uh, got arrested several times for, you know, not paying, you know, car, uh, not paying tickets, you know, going to jail for stupid stuff, but then kind of escalated, started getting into fires, got arrested for assault. Uh, then I caught my first felony. Um, you know, when I was 19, um, I was basically riding in a car with a dude and he had cocaine in the car and I got popped for, I didn't even know I was in the vehicle. I mean, honestly, one time I didn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I got popped <laughs> and a uh, second degree felony for possession of a controlled substance. And I, I didn't even know there was cocaine in the car. And I went down, I got probation, three years felony probation. And that, you know, those things follow you for the rest of your life, you know? And so, Things continue. When I turned 21, I, I did get married uh, for a short time. I hooked up with some female and got her pregnant and got married. And, um, you know, uh, things just didn't go well. I was so dysfunctional. Uh, I didn't know it then, but I do know now. I mean, there was, I was under generational curses. You know, the Bible speaks about that. And uh, I had a lot of generational curses. Come to find out my grandfather, my father, in me, I was third generation, maybe my great grandfather. I don't know. I didn't go all the way up the chain, but I know I was definitely a third generation alcoholic, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, just partying was my life and I was selfish and I didn't matter who was in my way. I was going to party and I was going to get high and drunk and I was going to do what I wanted to do. And it didn't matter what, I didn't care about the people I walked over. I didn't care if I went to jail or, you know, I didn't care about anything. I, I did work. I did have, a, you know, always make money and, and held down a job and paid my bills, but I was uh, one of those functioning alcoholics. I think we can all yeah. probably relate to a functioning alcoholic, you know, someone that can, uh, you know, get go to work and then party all night and then wake up and do it all over again. You know, it's just like, dude, I mean, it's a, it's a vicious cycle is what I call it. Right. Um, after the divorce, I really went haywire. Uh, 
that's when I really got deep, deep into my sin. I mean, I started going to topless clubs. Uh, my best friend was a DJ, so I started hanging out in topless bars. And I mean, just, I mean, golly, the sexual sin was just, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I was with people I didn't know. I mean, it was just, it's all like a blur now. But I mean, you know, when you're living that type of life, you don't really, you don't really think about anything that's going on in the world. You're just so wrapped up in your own little world. You know what I mean? That you're just, man, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's all it's, about it's, it's, you. It's, yeah. It's like right? a daze, yeah. you know, like you're just, it's all about yourself. And that's, and that's the the part that that's hard to swallow when you start hurting people that you love, you know? And so, um, that went on. I had two kids with one, with another female, didn't, didn't end up marrying her. Uh, when that I was in and out of that relationship for seven years, it was very abusive. Uh, she was an alcoholic as well. And I got to tell you, when you have two alcoholics together, that's, that's not a good, <laughs> no, that's not that's a good formula. Asking for disaster. A lot of, uh, physical fights, uh, jail. I put her in jail. She put me in jail. I mean, it was just, it was a disaster. And, uh, that continued on until about 2005. Um, you know, I had those two girls, they were, uh, you know, five, four and five years old, they were about 18 months apart. And, um, you know, she was really, uh, she got, she went from alcohol and got on the drugs, real heavy, hardcore drugs. And, um, basically, um, I was living in, uh, I was living up with my friends in Frisco, Texas. And, uh, man, I was partying hard pretty much and, you know, hanging out and doing my thing. And, and, uh, I was like, man, it's, it's, it's time to be a dad. Like these girls need you. Uh, and so on New Year's Eve of 2004, going into 2005, it was my weekend to have them, and I just never returned them. And uh, she wasn't happy about it, but I was like, take me to court, and let's go, let's go fight in court. So we, uh, she was pretty much uh, not able to fight me in court. Um, she didn't have the means. She really didn't have the fight in her. So her mom joined in and I fought for custody against her mom, against the grand, you know, the grandmother of the children for five years. And I won, they lived with me at that whole time, but I won full custody, you know, basically joint custody, but they lived with me. Uh, and they were with me until they were uh, 15, you know, 14 and 15 years old for about 10 years. And so it really, I gotta be honest with you. I was still partying and on the weekends, I didn't have them when they were up there with their grandmother. But in 2008, I met, uh, met my wife, my current wife. And, um, and we met and basically started dating and it got serious pretty quick. And she had a son from a previous marriage. Of course, by, of course, by this time I had three kids from two different babies, mamas. <laughs> and, uh, we got married, we married in uh, February of 08 and, and by October we were married. And, uh, so this is really my third major relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically, um, you know, she was completely the opposite of me. I mean, she, you know, she had never even inhaled a cigarette. I mean, she had, you know, obviously she drank a margarita or two, but she didn't live the life that I lived. Um, you know, she comes from a different background. She was, you know, raised in Bristol, Tennessee for 14 years before she moved uh, to Texas and uh, raised by a single mom, her and her brother. And she, you know, she, she's smart, had, you know, real good head on her shoulders, great job, very responsible. And so basically we uh, got married and here we go. And so I'm bringing my dysfunction into another 
marriage relationship. And so things went pretty well. I mean, we, we made good money together. I mean, they, we did, you know, we have the ups and downs like every newlywed, but we were a blended family. You know, we had yours and mine. And then, you know, two years out of, after, out of the gate in 2010, we had our, our baby together. We had a baby, a, a daughter, London. And, uh, so now we had yours, mine, and ours. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had experienced that, but man, that's a that's a trip in itself. Oh yeah, <laughs> a blended family is a whole nother level it for is. those of you that is. I very, share a blended family family myself. Yes, so, so it's uh it's a it's a different level. And mm. uh, uh, my oldest daughter didn't live with us; she lived with her mom and on the other side of Dallas. But we had four all four kids at the house. Uh, her son Austin, he was eleven when I got him, and then my two girls. Brooke and Jada, and then my, and then we had London together. Uh, things went pretty well. We, you know, we, me and Leslie, we didn't party in front of the kids. We would go on cruises. Uh, we would, you know, vacation. We would have date night and have a margarita. You know, I'd really calm way down. I mean, the drug, she wasn't having no kind of, man, if you're smoking weed, I ain't, I ain't, I'm not going to be with you. So that, that stopped, you know, basically cold turkey. But uh, we still drank together, you know, not not during the week. I mean, it was like a social thing, me and her. We were right. not in front of the kids. You know, I, I didn't want to be that dad. And so I was able to calm, you know, uh, the drinking down, you know, and basically just, you know, focus on the family, work, and try to be a good provider. But obviously, man, when you're, when you're, when you grow up a certain way, like you bring this baggage into a marriage, right? Yeah. And so... um you know, things were up and down, you know, I mean, I, I really didn't have, I really didn't know how to treat a lady. I didn't, I wasn't saved. I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, she, she went to church, you know, at a younger age when she was with her grandparents, but, um, and you know, we did try a church. It was a Baptist church and a little small church. And we went there for about a year and a half, you know, um, didn't really get involved. It was just like, you know how you just go in and sing a song and shake a hand and leave? That was basically right. It. I mean, I didn't pray. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't read the Bible at home. I didn't. So to me, I wasn't saved. I mean, you can go to church and not be saved. And not be saved. Yeah. Absolutely. So I didn't even know what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And so basically, um, we left that church after about a year and a half. We just, you know, we were just, I don't know. We, our son was so busy playing baseball, select baseball. We were gone every weekend. So we were like, well, we're paying thousands of dollars for him to play baseball. We're not going to church. Right. <laughs> we're going to be traveling on the road this weekend and staying in a hotel room. So anyways, um, you know, her son, our son, it was her son first and then became our son. We were, you know, very involved in select baseball and, you know, uh, Jada, she did soccer, select soccer. So we, the kids were very involved in sports. That's another thing that'll take you out of, away from God is, is trying to get your kids involved in all these things. I didn't realize it then, but man, you can, you can have idols in this world that come before God, even, you know, even sports or, you know, cheering or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I mean, anything can be an idol. I mean, anything that's above God is an idol. And I now know that I didn't know it then. And so basically. Um, basically just to let you know how I, how I had my encounter with Christ is basically July, uh, 20th of 2014 is when I was 42 years old and, uh, we've been married, uh, six years at that, at that time already. So we've been married six years and basically, um, just to be honest with you in my, in my sickness, you know, I, um, 
I started having an inappropriate conversation with a female at my job. And uh, my wife, you know, found out about it and through email, you know, like I didn't know, but it was copying the company instant message into my email, company email. And one night she was just like, it's over. Like I want a divorce. Like, and I was like, I didn't cheat on you. She's like, no, this, this, even if you just did that, I mean, you, you stepped like, it's over. Like, you know, like she had been cheated on in her first marriage. So she had no tolerance for that. And she was like, it's over. And it was a, it was a very rough moment for me to, there was no hiding the truth. We'll say that. Uh, I mean, I basically screwed up and all I could do is man up and try to apologize, but that wasn't going to be near enough. And, um, come to find out, man, I mean, we went outside and we were both crying and it was just, it was horrible. Um, I was so ashamed and, uh, broken. I was such a, I was such a broken person and, uh, I, I, you know, I tried to make amends, but it just wasn't going to cut it, you know? And so basically she, uh, one night, I don't know, I, 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 it's such a blur now, but I'm, I don't know if it was the same, maybe it might've been the next night or a couple nights down the road. I know one thing, she wasn't sleeping in the bed. <laughs> she was in a different room. Um, she said she was just praying like God, like, just reveal yourself to me if 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 you want me to work this thing out. Reese needs to come in here and tell me that he wants to go to church and that he wants to try to get his life right. And it wasn't an hour later. I was I, I found her. She was in my, one of our daughter's rooms on the bed, and they're you know kind of weeping, crying. And I said, "We need to we need to go to church. We need we need to try to find wow. God." And it was like an epitome, you know. I mean, yeah. she she had just been praying that prayer. Wow. And and it was just a revelation. It was like God just spoke. She was praying, and then God spoke to me to go in there and ask her, "Hey, can we go to church?" That's awesome. That's <laughs> powerful. Like, and I was like, "Go to church? Like, I, I'm not a church dude. I'm really not. I mean, I don't know the Bible. I don't. I don't even know a verse in the Bible. I grew up a heathen man all my life. But um, so we we went we went to a couple different churches, you know, and I, mean, I just didn't feel anything, you know, and. I think it was a third church or is that number three? It's such an important number in the Bible. And, um, we went to this church as a small church, uh, gateway Midlothian. It's not affiliated with a big gateway church. It's their own entity. They're assembly of God church. I've never been to a spirit filled church. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, um, it was like, I can't even tell you what the pastor preached on, but I know that before he had that altar call that I know my wife went one way and I went the other way and we ran to that altar. And I just threw myself at the altar. And that's where Jesus Christ came down and met me. And I just asked God, I was like, God, Jesus, will you forgive me? You know, will you you forgive me for all that I've done? All of the sin, all of the pain, all of the hurt. And, and I just, I just was weeping. I mean, I, it was like, it was like a death, you know, it was like worse than a funeral. Like, I mean, I couldn't even catch my breath. I mean, I remember the pastor going like, man, this dude, you were like, you, I couldn't even see your eyes, bro. They were like swollen shut. And, uh, he prayed with me, but I just, I remember the one question I asked God, I said, God, if you just give me one chance, just one more chance to get this right and, and save my family, I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my kids. 
I've lost so much already because of my actions. God, if you'll just give me this one chance, I will serve you until my death. And it was like my encounter with Christ, Jesus came down and met me right there at the altar. And I know that it was Jesus because I had this peace that came over me. Mm-hmm. like a, I can't even describe it. It was the most beautiful peace that I had never experienced before. Like, I mean, it was just like a release. Like, like it just, it's hard to even explain in the human mind of what happened at that altar. But I knew right then and there I was forgiven. And I asked him to come in my heart and be my savior, that I believed in him, that I believed that he was, that he is the son of God and that he died for my sins and that he rose from the dead. And I believed it. And I was like, I believe this. I believe in you. And I'm just asking for forgiveness, and I mean it. I mean, I truly repented, and it was the most beautiful peace that I've ever, something I've never experienced before in my life. I've never had peace until July 20th of 2014. Wow. At 1030 in the morning in Midlothian, Texas. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, that's all I can describe it, man. And and she accepted Christ, too. I mean, that really— when we write in our Bibles, like that's when we got saved. I mean, that's when it all started. That's when the journey started with Jesus, with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we just started, man, chasing after God. And the way I can describe it is that he came down and he he put this broken person back together. Mm-hmm. He wove me back together. He fixed me. And uh I had a real filthy mouth. I mean, every other word was the F word. I mean, he he took cussing immediately away from me. I mean, I didn't even ask for that. He just took it. I mean, I didn't cuss anymore. It just like stopped cussing. It was unbelievable. And obviously it's God, but um, but I just started seeing change. You know, like I started like me and Leslie started watching sermons. Like every time the doors were open to the church, we wanted, man, we were hungry for the word of God. Like we, we couldn't, we were coming home every night from what, from work, watching sermon after sermon. Like she bought me a Bible, like immediately. I'm like, man, I got my first Bible. <laughs> you know, we just started diving into the word and, and praying. And I didn't really even know how to pray. And I know my first request was like, God, will you bring me a Christian friend? Cause I don't have any Christian friends. <laughs> I mean, my, my friends are partiers, man. They're, we smoke, we drink, we cuss, and we, we you know, basically just live crazy. You know, we, yeah. we just do whatever we want to do. You know, every day is a party. It's fun. You know, we're lit every day. I'm like, will you just send me some Christian friends? And he's, he brought me three brothers immediately from that church. And they were like, man, my name's so-and-so. And they introduced themselves. And they kind of just took me under the wing. They were real friendly. And I was like, man, like, I'm a new Christian. And like, Man, I don't know all this Jesus stuff, man. <laughs> you right. know, like I don't know anything. I'm just brand new. I just gave my life to the Lord, and and literally, and I got saved in July. That that September, they were starting a men's uh, class, and it was called Real Man. You want to become a real man? I was like, man, I want to become a real man. And it was the Real Men's Ministry, and basically, what it was, it was nine months. Uh, Ed Cole, which his whole ministry was men. He's he's dead now, but I encourage all you men out there, man, read the read Ed 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 Cole. I mean, his books are incredible, and I just 
I mean, he uses the Word of God. I had to do. I had to read nine books. First nine books I've ever read in my life. I had to do, <laughs> not, I had to do nine book reports. And the crazy part is, at the end of the nine months, in order for you to graduate, your wife had to sign off and and actually sign off saying that she had a changed husband, that she could see a change. Oh wow! Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, they had this big ceremony, like you know, like you graduated and you uh-huh. got a prayer, a prayer to leak, and a sword. Of course, you know, a couple, of my, a couple of my friends made fun of the sword, but it was this really neat ceremony. Like, you, you know, basically you become a priest of your home. And that's what we are, guys. We're the priest of our home. We are we are the leaders. We are the oh, head. Absolutely, yes. And so uh, I learned so much. I mean, I learned about money and sex and how to treat your wife and how to be a father. I mean, like every subject you can imagine where he's pulling the scriptures out and showing you how it ties into God's word. It was just amazing. Ed Cole, man, I'm telling you guys, you got to read uh, those books, man. They were they're incredible. I actually, every time I, I minister to someone or someone that I meet that's a non-believer or I'm mentoring someone, actually, it's it's one of the first books I start off with is one of the Ed Cole books because it's so powerful and so easy to read and it's so, like I said, that that guy, his whole ministry was men. That's just, I mean, he led thousands of men to the Lord. And that was his whole ministry. I mean, he went to men's conferences all over the United States for his whole life. That's what he did. That's what God called him into, into doing. So um, went through real men's and uh, ministry and and really just started serving in church and and getting, you know, growing my walk with the Lord. Um, there was a lot of trials and tribulations, you know. It's not like when you get saved, it's just, all right, everything's perfect. Oh, no, not at all. That's uh, why it's called the non-perfect Christian talk show. Yes. Yes. We're always growing. That's when I found out that there's a real devil or say, uh, 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 he's a being and his name is Satan and he's real. And, uh, I found out that, that there's a war going on for souls. And I started learning all these different things that, you know, about valleys and mountain peaks and there's seasons in our life. And, you know, and, and really when you start, you know, when you're in sin and you're walking and you're living crazy and you're a non-believer, like when the devil's got you, like he don't really bother you. I mean, you still live a messed up life, like everything's going wrong. But when you're a Christian, when you turn your life over to Christ, like you guys, then the devil is after you. Like this dude is mad. Like, like the devil. I mean, it's a, it's a battle for souls. Mm-hmm. Like I said, right? Spiritual warfare at the highest level. And when you start living for God, that's when the demonic, you know, forces, spiritual warfare starts taking place, and and things start happening. And now when you start reading God's word, you're understanding, oh, I understand now. It's not, that's not, you're not fighting flesh and blood. The Bible says it's powers and principalities. And so when you understand that and you start putting that into your life and understand that you're not fighting flesh and blood, you're, you're, you're battling, you know, powers and principalities, it puts it in a different perspective. And now you have to understand, well, okay, well, how do I fight against Satan? And there's only one way. It's God's word. Mm-hmm. It's called the sword. Yeah, sword it's the of only offensive Absolutely. weapon in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit. The sword is the Bible, the word of God. And when you go back and you look and see what Jesus did and how he overcame the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, how did he defeat Satan with, with his father's word? Mm-hmm. He quoted scripture. And every time what had what happened, the devil had to flee from him. And so that's why it's so important that we learn the Word of God and that we, we, we not just learn it, but we put it in our heart. 
we put the scriptures in our heart. It's not about memorizing scripture. It's about putting the word of God in your heart. And that way, when you're going to battle, when you're, when you're, when you're having to pray for someone or you're having to pray for your, your grown children or your teenage children, or you're going through trials and tribulations, you're able to quote scripture to fight yeah. against the, 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 the devil that's trying to destroy you or destroy that person or destroy your family. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, this is, this is real. And, and, and once you start following the Lord, you're going to, he's going to give you spiritual eyes. He's going to open your eyes up to what's going on. There's a couple of little things I want to bring up because we could talk all night about, but, uh, um, there's a couple of really important things about my testimony and that I want to bring up. So because I didn't grow up in the church, uh, God has revealed a lot of things to me about the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've shared this a little bit with you before, not uh, not not publicly, but I want to say this. So, so what I found out is that a lot of people have been hurt by the church, like they've been hurt in the church. Oh yeah, I'm one of them. Right? Yeah. Like they've had people that have let them down, or they're you know I see now that I'm part of a body of Christ, and I'm not, again I'm not. I mean I've been in you know involved in three or four different churches, you know from Texas to Tennessee. You know, there's people that wear a mask. There are people that murmur, which is talking you know, gossip. There are people that are hypocrites. There are people that just go to church on Sunday and they don't serve God in any kind of way. They just show up and they go, Hey, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. There are people, I mean, I, there's call even, those bench warmers. Yeah. There's yep. even affairs going on in the church, guys. It happens. And you, and you think, how could this happen in a church? Like this is God's house. Right. And so what God revealed to me, is that this is how he put it. This is how he put it to my spirit. And he spoke to me. I was on an airplane on my one of my business trips back to Dallas. <laughs> and he's like, Reese, the church is a hospital for a bunch of broken people that need Jesus. Oh, yeah. And when he revealed to me and broke it down to me like that, I was like, wow, that's a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. That really the church is a hospital. And everybody in there needs needs Jesus, including the pastor. And then the second thing that God revealed to me is that you can't put your eyes on man. You know, a lot of a lot of people, man. They, I mean, they 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 love their pastor, but some of these mega churches, you know, they they really lift. They put these guys up on a pedestal, and it's almost like they're an idol. You know, they're above God or they're equal to God. And and one thing that that God has revealed to me is that you can never just Put your eyes on a man because a man can fail you. He's just a man. Yep. And any man can fall from grace, meaning we're all born sinners. I mean, they can, they can fall. You know, they can, just because he's a pastor doesn't mean that he's not going to sin or he can't. He's not perfect. Yeah. He could, he could do something that could, he could be removed from the church. And then what'd you do? You put all your faith in this pastor and you're like, well, golly, if it happened to him, what am I? You know, and mm-hmm. it really, it's a way that Satan can kind of bring you down. So, you know, God has also revealed that to me that, you know, not only is it a hospital for a bunch of broken people, but we got to be very careful that you just don't put your eyes on a man, that you focus on your relationship. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you, and there's so many people, you're probably, well, how do I do that? How do I have a relationship with Jesus? It's not hard. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to being in prayer, being in your Bible, 
and being in worship. Yep. And when you're in, when you're doing those three things on a daily basis, when you're, when you're praying and you're in the word of God and you're worshiping, because remember this guys, we were created for, for worship. We were created to worship him. We were, we were created for his kingdom. So we all have a will in our life that we have to do in order to find out what the will of our Father is, is that we have to seek him. We have to seek his face and he will reveal himself to us through his word or through another person or through a song. Yeah, He will reveal himself yeah. to you if you're seeking his face. And so that's what God has taught me is that, man, like it's not about going to church. Church is important. That's another thing. That's my third yeah. point. And let's see how God's just wrapping this right into it. My third point was this, is that there's three reasons why you need to be connected with the body of Christ. Because we are the church, right? Yeah. That's right. We are. So basically, we are the body. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. And so basically, the reason why you need to go to church, I didn't understand this. I'm like, wait, why are there so many people that don't go to church? And then... Everybody I talked to on an airplane, everybody's been hurting church. Right. <laughs> so like nobody goes to church, yeah. right? So God revealed to me, well, the reason why you need to be in church is for three different reasons. Let me break it down. It's very easy. He showed me the first reason why you need to be in church is because you need to be in his house to worship him. Mm-hmm. He wants our worship. He's God. He deserves our worship. And guess what? On Sunday morning, I'm not the best singer, but I guess what? I'm worshiping the Lord. And I love it. I sing, and I'm singing to him. Yep. And he, and I know that I'm praising him. I'm worshiping him. I'm thanking him. It's not about asking for stuff. I'm worshiping the creator of the universe, the almighty God. And so that's the first reason. The second reason is, is that you need to be able to hear the word of God. And that's what the pastor or preacher is there for. So his job is to Let's study the word, yeah. fast, pray, and, and being, you know, not that we can't do that. We need to be doing that too. But that is his job is to deliver the word from the shepherd to his flock, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To give the word that God, that the Holy Spirit is giving him, is telling him he is to deliver that through scripture, through prayer, and being able to deliver the message that God wants to give to his people at that moment. Yeah. And sometimes a right that, now message. Yes, and sometimes that message is for one person. Sometimes that message is for everybody in the church. That's the incredible thing about God. It's amazing. It might be for the person that's watching on TV or listening over the radio. God can speak to you through many ways. Mm-hmm. He's an all-knowing God, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he He spoke the sun into existence. Hello? Yeah. Like, there let there be light. Boom, there's a sun. Like, what? <laughs> so if he wants to speak to his people, just like he spoke to the Israelites, he's going to speak through, a, he can speak through a pastor. He can through, he can speak through a worship song. And then the third reason why we need to be in church is that we need to be around like-minded believers. We need to be around people that believe the same way we believe, because that's what builds our faith. That's what the Bible talks about in Proverbs is iron sharpens iron. We're there, we're, we're there for each other to pray for each other, to build each other up, to be there for people in need. You know, there, there's times, I mean, I'm seeing just our church, hey, man, we got a family, there's a crisis, they got their house burnt down. Man, we need to come together as a, as a body. We need to feed that family. We need to clothe that family. We need to, to let them know that we love them. Yep. And that's what, the, that's what the church is there for, is to build each other up. 
and be there for each other. And so it goes back to what I said in, my, in the beginning of my testimony. I never understood, hey, who you hang around with is very important, right? On the bad side, it's just as important on the, on the, on the, on this side. Oh, absolutely. Because I can promise you, I can promise you that you could probably be out of church for, I ain't going to put a time limit on it, but it wouldn't be much longer. You're hanging out in a bar and you would fall right back into your old ways. Mm -hmm. Once you put your guard down and you let the enemy in, man, dude, how many people fall and they walk away from God? How many people give their life to Christ and then presto, they're gone. They're back right where they started. And you know where, you know what that's from? It's, it's the same. There's two analogies. A, the first one is they took their eyes off Jesus. If y'all remember about Peter and the story and the Peter and the boat and, and Jesus was walking on the water and he called Peter out of the boat. And as long as he had his eyes on Christ, Peter literally was walking on water, going to meet Christ. He said, come here, Peter. Yep. But what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus. And you know what happened to Peter? He fell. He went underwater. And so that's the same thing with Christians, man. Like when you take your eyes off Christ, you're going to fall. Yep. You're going to fall away from God. And that's so important is that you keep your eyes on Jesus at all times. You know, it's so important in our walk that we hang around people that can build us up, positive people that are going to be there to pray for you, people that you can trust, people that you can rely on. Like, you know, hey, man, I could call you at two o'clock in the morning. I'm in a, I'm, I'm having an emergency, man. I'm having a meltdown. I'm having a breakdown. I've got a, my child's in the hospital. My son just got into a wreck. He, I don't know if he's going to make it. And I want, I need to be able to have some brothers in Christ that I can call up and be like, man, will you pray for me? I'm broken right now. I'm distraught. I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm confused. And we know where confusion comes, as the Bible says that Satan is the author of confusion. confusion. Yep, he is the father of lies. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it goes back to knowing the Word of God and knowing who your enemy is. And man, you know, God is what? What has it been now? Seven. This will be seven years. My seventh year in July will be seven years. I've been walking with the Lord, and I can't, I can't begin to tell you the. Not only the peace that he's given me, but the just the the blessings and and the things that that his word. He is a god of his word. He is very. He honors his word. That's all. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Like yeah. when he says that he'll give you tenfold and and he'll bless your family and he'll bless your business or he'll bless your your health. He means it because he shows favor. I mean, we're his people. Once you turn your life over to him, you're his. Yeah. And he takes care of you, no matter through the ups and the downs. And so what it all boils down to, anyone that hears this this podcast, it boils down to surrender. Until you surrender your life to God, nothing's going to change. Things are probably going to get worse. And so I had to learn that it, when I went down to that altar that morning, I surrendered. You know, people probably make fun of the Pentecostals. They raise their hands up. You know, when I used to raise my hands up, it's because I was being arrested. <laughs> You're <laughs> but surrendering. Now, but now, and I'm serious, serious, but now when I raise my hands up, when I have both arms in the air, you know what I'm doing? I'm, th- this is a position when you're being arrested, I surrender. Well, guess what? You're now surrendering to the Lord. Yep. 
I surrender. I love that song, I surrender, because until you surrender everything in your life, and not just one area, but all areas of your life, that's the key. Well, hey, Reese, I gave up drinking, you know, but man, I'm still, you know, cheating on my wife, or I'm over here cussing, or I'm over here. Sin is sin, dude. Murder is murder. Murder is sin. Cussing is a sin. The Bible talks about bad language. I mean, the Bible talks about drunkenness. The Bible talks about all of, I mean, the Bible is a roadmap. It teaches you how to live. You go to book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, you know, it'll, God teaches you how to be a parent, you know, don't spare the rod. He'll teach you how to do everything you need to do. If you'll just get into his word, but it boils down to this. Are you willing to surrender everything in your life? Are you willing to surrender your, your being, your whole being, your mind, your body, your soul? Are you willing to surrender everything to him so that he can do a mighty work in you? And once you, once you surrender everything to him, then he can actually use you for his kingdom. And that's what he's done with me. Now he's able to use me because I'm, I'm a servant. It's all, about, it's all about love and being a servant. Oh, absolutely is. Absolutely and so, is. man, I just, I just praise God tonight for this opportunity to be on this uh, and give my testimony and just let people hear the, the gospel and know that we serve a real God, that, that Jesus is real, and he's waiting for you. All you got to do is surrender, brother. That's he is. It. And he's always right there waiting. He's always. waiting. He's always right he's there. He's not waiting. a long ways away. He's you don't have to go miles. He's no. right there. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Yep. He is at our side. He's just waiting for you to say, I give up. I can't do it no more. Yep. I'm done. Save me, God. Yep. Deliver me, God. Give I, I give my life to you. And when you do it, then you're going to see true change. You're going to see a change in a transformation like you've never experienced before in your life. I'm telling you, the Word of God has actually, the Bible talks about that, about transforming your mind. Yeah, renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. Yes. Yes, and my mind has been renewed, completely renewed. Like the way I, I don't even think the same. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit. God has put His Word in my mind, and now I don't even think the way I used to think. Like I'm a completely different person. That's why we say we're born again. Yeah. Yep. Like the old Reese died. And I've been born again. And now, it's, I mean, it, I'm a new person. I'm a new yeah. creation Paul in Paul tells us we are, yeah, we are new, crea- new creations. That's it, in Christ yep. Jesus. And I've never been happier. I've never been more successful in my life as far as, you know, my business and, and my finances. Uh, I'm, you know, I still have issues. Believe me, I still got grown kids that need to drink a can of Act Right. But right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we never give up on them, man, because nobody, someone didn't give up on me. I know my grandmother, someone was praying for, for Reese. Mm-hmm. I know my dad prayed for me. My grandmother's prayed for me. I'm sure my mom prayed for me. There's people in my life that have been praying for me that I would, that I would, you know, give it up, that I would surrender my life to Jesus. And it happened. It took 42 years, but it happened. And now I'm able to share that love and that, 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 that story with, with other people. And because it's real, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, dude, everything I've been through and now in the last seven years, I mean, I'm just, I'm amazed at what God has done with a, with a wretch like me. I'm just, I'm just his vessel now. I'm just this, I'm just waiting, man. I'm just doing my time here on earth and, and, serving him with all of my, all of my, all of, all that I have so that 
one day I will be with him for eternity. Yeah. That's amazing. That's all I got, brother. Man, Reese, I appreciate it so much, <laughs> man. I love your testimony, man. I've heard it, heard it before and, um, and, and it's awesome. And it relates to I me. Mean, you've talked before the show and stuff, how similar our testimonies are. And, and so it, it hits its own to me. And I know that somebody listening to this, this hit home with you, you know, and, and you, I don't, we don't know where you are. We don't know what you're dealing with. You know, you may know Jesus, you may not know Jesus, um, but that word, that testimony was just given, you're listening and you know it was for you. And uh, we just beg, man, get get on your knees and just tell Jesus you're there and and give it all to him. So let's let's wrap it up, man. Reese, that was your testimony. Reese, you pray us out, man. You pray this thing out. Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this evening, Lord, this time, this opportunity to to minister, for you to minister through me, Lord, to someone, Father. I just thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace and everything you're doing in my life, Lord. Thank you for, for great friends and family and uh, a great business partner. And, Lord, just your blessings, Lord, just the peace that you've given me and the leadership qualities that you've given me now to lead my family and be the priest of my home. Father, I just pray over our world right now. I pray over our country, our cities, our states, our children, Lord. Let this world turn to you, Lord, and repent and become a nation under God. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing in our lives, Lord. I'm, I'm just so thankful, Lord, that you sent your son on to, to die for us on the cross, Lord, at Calvary. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share what you've done in my life, Father. And Lord, I just hope, Lord, that my my life will be a testament to some other people and that they can that they can surrender their life to you, Lord, and live for you, Father. For you an all-lowing and an all-giving God, Lord, you're an all-forgiving God, and you, you are love. You are everything that we need, and I just thank you, Father. I can't, I can't, there's not a day that doesn't go by, Lord, that I just thank you for all the things you've done for me, and I give you all the glory, Lord, and I ask all of these things in your most precious name, in Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen, man. Again, powerful testimony. Reese, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, hopefully you all enjoyed that episode. Of course, you know, if you hear this on YouTube, Facebook, Podbean, uh, just give us a like, give us a subscribe, make sure you're following. If you know somebody that that you just feel uh, Reese's testimony or something that we said to the show can can reach out to an impact, share it with us with them, man. Let them know what's going on that we're here for them. You can reach us uh, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, again, podbean.com or the app. You can reach us there. Go like, go subscribe. We'll have another episode out for you guys here in just a couple weeks. And we're going to end this one out, man, with a band that I desperately or deeply, I should say, love. A uh, band's called Love and Death. And this is Brian Welch from Corn. Uh, uh, you've probably heard of them, Reese, um, the, the guitar player that got saved. And this is his Christian band. They just dropped a new album, uh, uh, Perfectly Preserved, that is amazing. I've rocked that record. I don't know, probably six times through now, but uh, uh, this song I just felt was really good. This is a very testimonial song uh, for for Brian, I know especially, uh, but it's a powerful song, and we're going to end it out the show with you guys. Here's Love and Death. The song's called Down. Down, down, buried beneath. I feel like I'm running out of time. Running out of time.